Well, thank you so much, Alessa, for joining me today. Super excited to chat about your path in into impact investing and, and all the amazing and interesting things you're doing now for the community and the, and the sector itself. Let's start with your sort of career path and journey. And we can go as far back as you, as you want if you want to talk about you know your time growing up in Switzerland or uh, going to Oxford and then really looking at blockchain early on and, and, and biotech early on. But start wherever you want to start. We'll kind of go from there. Thank you, Grant. Great to be here. Yeah, I guess that I've always been very entrepreneurial and that's perhaps where we could start because uh, I think the impulse just uh, came until the point that it had to happen more and more. And so starting at 11 with uh, little initiatives like reselling books and toys like doing things in various various innovative ways for uh, a kid I guess but mostly for play because of uh, the enjoyment of it and the enjoyment I guess of um, creating something Uh, if I can relate it to what I do at this point it always comes down to that and so there was a lot of this push in terms of um, building things but also doing things a bit differently and uh, and uh, maybe picking things up in between the lines from an innovation perspective, from a how could we do this better type of perspective. That was always a bit of drive that I had. And going to Oxford really meant, well, leaving Switzerland and going into the world. Um, Switzerland felt a little bit like a, a bubble where everything is uh, slow, everything mm-hmm. is uh, a little bit out of time. And so that felt very restrictive, I guess, for the, the kind of uh, kid that I was. And so I think my, um, my entrepreneurial journey then evolved into being involved more in technology and extra real, so to say, startups uh, during my time at university, learning about that culture and learning both on campus, but then having the opportunity of doing trips to places like Silicon Valley early on and, uh, and getting that mindset on, but just really aligning with it. Because I remember that when I went, when I went to Silicon Valley for the first time, I was still studying and uh, it felt very home in terms of the way that people sure. thought yeah. and did yeah. things in a way that, in a way that was always the opposite of home, um, you know, in uh, perhaps some ways in which um, I always wanted to do things differently or question things, um, you know, from, uh, from whatever standpoint that I had. And so uh, with that said, I started my career in the investment space and I did what a lot of graduates looked to do at the time. I uh, did an internship in investment banking. I was at Goldman Sachs. Uh, I got hired uh, directly into private equity. So I worked in private equity and then I moved to venture capital. I saw it as gaining some core skills that would equip me well going forward and perhaps as a fine, I won't jump straight into uh, entrepreneurship <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll learn some things in, in um, you know, the, the grown-up or corporate world first and uh, definitely, definitely a good way. It's not necessarily about uh, going on a specific path, but just kind of... Um, uh, gradually understanding, uh, I guess, as a graduate, how how things are currently out there, and uh, and so I, I, I gained some useful skills. And then after leaving venture capital, that's when I became entrepreneurial, which has been a journey that gradually led me to impact investing, actually, and impact entrepreneurship. Because 
what we do at Top Tier Impact, you could really see at the intersection of both because uh, I run a business and build it, but at the same time we invest, right? So there's like, there's different, and it's all about the investment ecosystem. So there are different components to it. And it's kind of um, at the intersection that I realized at some point I always enjoyed, which is a little bit of uh, a horizontal standpoint of where is the whole ecosystem at? Um, I think that my early interest in economics came from the exact same reasons. Um, when I was a kid as well, I remember just thinking like, how does the world actually works? I need to figure this out. And so right. the, the, the sort of zooming out, right? And looking at the bigger picture, almost with this curiosity or innocence about, no, but like, I really want to step back and get a different perspective and understand. And then I want to see how things could be made better. This was ultimately what led to top tier impact because I, you know, I had been angel investing for many years. I had realized that some of my areas of angel investing were in impact, but I had never approached impact from that umbrella perspective. I approached it more because it was positive areas of technology. I could get excited about it. I could see how they contributed. I could see the markets they were creating. And so Eventually, the more I looked at impact as a whole, the mm-hmm. more I thought, well, this is a great paradigm for our economy and our society, and yeah. we need it. This was a few years ago. But at the same time, I saw a lot of room for making uh, the whole space work better and creating more synergies and connecting the dots and uh, kind of adding that efficiency that can make it grow better and faster. And this is really the mission of Top Tier Impact. We're here to accelerate the mainstream adoption of impact and sustainability as the way of making investments and running companies. And so it does come down to both investing in entrepreneurship and it does come down to the entirety of the ecosystem. And at this point, we have three businesses, we have our network, we have um, the uh, the advisory units. Uh, we also have actually quite a few initiatives like our impact awards that are more about building out the entire ecosystem and uh, giving visibility to entrepreneurs that are building a better planet. But, you know, at the, at the core of everything, there wasn't the, the statement of let's invest or let's run a network or let's consult. There was more like the, the, the will of advancing this new paradigm faster. Well, you, you hit some buzzwords that I really like and enjoy and talking about a new paradigm a little bit. And that's private equity, venture capital, and impact investing. I do, since you've worked on the PE side and the VC side, how do you look at where those can be most effective when mm-hmm. it comes to impact investing or just sort of impact in general? Is there is there one that you see can be better than the other or they, they both have sort of an equal role in all this? It really depends on the stage of a company and the stage of a market. And so private equity and venture capital are two completely different words. And at the same time, there are two sides of the same coin. So there are two completely different words because when you look at the day-to-day role uh, in venture capital, you're making fast decisions, you're meeting many entrepreneurs each day, you're building theses and macro theses that lead you forward in terms of what you're looking for because you need to screen through so many potential, and I'm saying potential because it's early stage, and so one way or the other is the potential like that early stage potential businesses and business models. Whereas in private equity, yeah, that is kind of the opposite, right? So you spend 
months on one deal and you're going to know everything about that industry all the numbers like you just turn everything uh inside out and really really get close because there's a lot to analyze right there's a there's a mature business there's there's an industry that typically you know sure all industries at this point go through phases of disruption faster and faster but ultimately there's a lot to be analyzed and in venture capital it's more about projecting it into the future and then also you know making fast decisions like all the time so you could say that from a day-to-day perspective these are completely different processes completely different roles and activities but at the same time it comes down to the exact same thing which is empowering the growth and the operations of businesses whether they're early stage or mature and so when it comes to impact it's um you know, it's a little bit like the tool versus the intention. Ultimately, if, you know, if impact is early and is mostly technology-based, like venture capital applies in so many ways. Uh, If impact is much more about mature businesses or perhaps consolidating certain industries and turning them into a more sustainable model as a whole, then private equity has a lot to offer. And so in other words, you know, they're, they're kind of, their processes and ways of operating that just depend on where a business is at. Let's jump into top tier impact and, and talk a little bit about what your vision for that is and maybe why'd you even start it, right? Was it, what was the catalyst for you sort of, you know, trying to build out a community, a network, and then now there's sort of an advisory side and perhaps even a, a fun side now or in the future, you had mentioned that, you know, there, there's some perhaps checks being written out of that. Kind of just go through the overall ecosystem and, and what you've built so far and, and what you would like it to be. Yeah, so the way that TTI emerged, and uh, this was about two and a half years ago, um, and I was in a gap here, I was finally having some time off, and um, I didn't expect it to be my next business. I just, uh, as I was saying before, approached more and more impact from a higher level horizontal perspective and thought, what a great paradigm. And also, wow, what a bunch of like low-hanging fruit ways available to, to improve it. And so my impulse at the time was to get friends, colleagues, like impact investors together to discuss certain topics and to share the flow. And that was really how we started. And it was very informal and, and, and casual. And it was kind of like I was doing it also to contribute to this because the more I looked at it, the more it felt meaningful. Also, the more it seemed something systemic. And uh, I do also have a background in system design and system thinking. And so how do we make an entire ecosystem work better? So it felt like a low-hanging fruit type of way to contribute to this. And then it very quickly took a whole life of its own just like an ecosystem can do actually. And it started growing itself and it grew both in terms of initially it was just network and uh, it grew in terms of uh, people coming in and bringing each other in it um, and also just suggesting ideas. And so we grew, if you want, in a distributed way where it was never this top down, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And then after two and a half years, we do this. Like, no, it was very much like, tuning into the market, tuning into problem solution, tuning into something that felt meaningful, obviously about impact, and then listening and putting the pieces together organically as we went. 
Um, and you know, this is sort of, um, I believe that this is the rise also in this new paradigm of a slightly different way of doing things where in the past we've operated in this very kind of top-down structure, some would say like this masculine way. Whereas when you look at Web3, blockchain technology, distributed protocols, like distributed technology ultimately is this bottom-up way of doing things or this yeah. feminine way of doing things where it assembles itself. It's not like, oh no, we're going to do it like this and that. It's like, well, let's listen to the whole thing. Let's allow the whole thing to create a life of its own as well and contribute and collaborate, right? And so we are much more like that, just naturally by DNA. And quite frankly, this is part of why I believe that things have grown themselves so fast, like with our consulting business, with our investing unit, with like the things that we've been slotting in and uh, just naturally bringing forward because they made sense and they um, they came about in a way that obviously, yeah, I had various things in mind that could make sense, but I was observing, listening and see when the ducks would all line up in a row and just kind of continue from there. And so, you know, I think that this is part of enabling distributed growth that also works well in that sense. You, you mentioned another massive word right now which is is web3 and how do we use this also as another tool to you know change change some things and and, and perhaps you know build out new infrastructures um, for new sectors and, and even into existing sectors when you talk about you know the, the community and, and just the discussion in there what is what is sort of big over overarching topics that are sort of being discussed is it really around climate is it around you know, Web3, is it around perhaps food and ag? Like, what are some of the top, I guess, discussions sort of being talked about in, in some sectors that really have potential for, you know, returns, of course, but also really establish like an, an, an arc of impact that I think, like you said, that this sort of paradigm shift is super impressive when we have all these tools at our disposal to actually repair the world in a lot of different ways and really make it much more efficient and, and better for, for more people. Absolutely. So what's happened is interesting because there's been this very rapid shift in Web3. And I think Web3 now is just going to keep on accelerating, right? Like by default, that's yeah. how, also how it naturally evolves with a technology like this. And I've followed it for 10 years now. And so really seeing the different phases of it and seeing the last year plus where I'm like, I have no idea what's even going on. I mean, like, you know, in, in, in the grander scheme of things, obviously in specific areas I do, but I think anyone who claims to have, you know, a full overview of everything that's going on in Web3 is absolutely kidding themselves. And so, but that's the beauty of it. So, you know, I think that what's starting to emerge and maybe, maybe before just to bring it back to what's happened is, I still remember how in April, May last year, so less than a year ago, people were mostly talking about Bitcoin and the consumption of, um, uh, well, CO2 emissions effectively, right, from mining. And uh, that also led me to make a personal angel investment uh, in a company that is fully focused on uh, uh, Bitcoin mining in uh, the renewable energy space, because I do believe that not only narratives like that are sort of looking at one percent of the whole picture in this case right. Right. well it's actually you know it's proof of work it's bitcoin it's something that is changing rapidly because actually the way this works is that the incentives are going to push for like the lowest and cheapest solutions and drive innovations in renewables anyway so all of that was sort of out of discussion <laughs> 
But what's fascinated me is seeing the whole debate out there shifting like 180 degrees and suddenly finding much, much more innovation at the intersection of Web3 and impact. And I would say a lot of it is in climate. And so whether it's, um, well, carbon credits, I think is a, a little bit of a controversial era and we mm -hmm. can talk about it separately. But yeah. I think that when you think ultimately about the, the properties of uh, traceability and being able to have a ledger that, uh, that uh, keeps count of certain things, like we see a lot of uh, uh, useful applications on the climate side of things. Uh, and that goes both for the energy sector and more broadly enterprise and, uh, and helpful ways to you know, keep count of things. So there's a lot that has happened at the intersection of climate and Web3. And then there are a few other verticals perhaps that emerge also at technology, like, like for instance, like in, uh, uh, in the biotech space, right? And in, in, in other uh, technology-led areas where uh, there's been interesting ways to apply blockchain technology in a positive way. And then there are ultimately some things that are more about new models and uh, sort of, again, community-led approaches to doing things differently. There are DAOs, which are a very big thing right now as well. Mm -hmm. um, so there's been climate DAOs, been, you know, it's like rise, fall, and everything in between. Um, there's been quite a few things that have sort of like led the, the way and paved, sort of like created the first wave of right. uh, uh, this intersection, you know, and so it's not new anymore, which I think is so good because now I think this, this phase from here going forward um, for the rest of the year and certainly for the next several months is more about how do we build on these foundations and these first learnings and we start actually zooming in more because, you know, for someone who's at the intersection of both sectors, like sometimes I see things in Web3 that are claiming to, you know, have a certain <laughs> impact and be good for, you know, from a climate perspective and they just feel so misinformed and like poorly educated about what the sure. uh, issues and needed solutions actually are, but that's okay, right? That's okay because again, it's been part of the first wave. And uh, I think the education, by the way, is not just for the entrepreneurs, it's for the investors as well, um, is for everybody. And so, you know, I think that we're kind of getting into this second phase where we can zoom in more and find better solutions. So you mentioned carbon credits. <laughs> so you opened up that box. You opened... Yeah, um, that's right. There's a lot of thoughts around it, right? Both negative and positive yeah. of, of what the outcomes are and maybe the, the verification of certain things. And I guess moving forward, I look at it as sort of just the first inning of, of the sort of a new financial market around nature and how we deal with with Mother Earth as being, you know, an asset for us as human beings and how do we put a value on, you know, beautiful land and great soil, and good air and clean water. And I think carbon credits is just sort of the, the, the first inning of that. But, but how do you look at carbon credits and the industry in general right now and, and sort of yeah. the possibilities of it going forward? So there are quite a few things to say here. And so I'll, you know, we could talk about this topic for a very long time. So I'll just start picking <laughs> a few and then we can see where to zoom in or if we move on. But I think number one is just getting a historical perspective on this market. This market is not new. This has been the case for decades that there are entrepreneurs like trying to make it happen and bumping mm -hmm. into various issues, sometimes systemic, sometimes very specific to certain uh, approaches or properties. And so 
learning from history that somehow I'm seeing little of. And, uh, you know, if you think about, uh, I, we, we were watching this Ray Dalio video like a few weeks ago that was putting in perspective like the changing world order, right? If you think mm -hmm. about how valuable it is, uh, frankly, also just from a financial perspective to be able to learn from history and do comparative analysis, I'm seeing so little of it. And quite frankly, I think one of the reasons I'm seeing little of it is because to me, it seems like carbon credits have been these oh, let's jump on this. It sounds right. good. It sounds positive. Yeah. And there's like lots that can be done and it's big and like all the corporates are going to take it. No, yeah. like that's not the case, right? And right. so we'll get into why that's not the case because I think there's going to be a lot of disillusionment coming from that eventually. Uh, but also I think that just continuing on the, on the historical comparison, what may happen here and, you know, partially I, I think is happening already is that, the the sector takes with this typical hype that is just inherent of the technology right it's, it's very crypto-ish right it's very crypto-ish it, right it's like this this hype of like okay now we're gonna do this and we're yeah. gonna do it real big and it's just gonna put that magnifying lens on all the issues that historically carbon credits have had non-stop right. there are very good reasons why they have not happened as a unified solution i'm not saying that like we should archive this topic absolutely not I'm saying that we should evolve rather than forget and try to yep. do the same thing uh, without embedding yeah. that. And that's what I'm seeing, right? Um, and um, and so that's that. Like, let's not even call it boring because whatever, like it's just part, part of the process. The second thing around it is just um, when you look more specifically at what's happening from a regulatory standpoint, I'm seeing so many investors not realizing the fact that actually the big legislation that is hitting corporates, only big corporates now. And by the way, we see this because our consulting business works with large publicly listed businesses mm -hmm. on climate risk scenario planning, ESG integration, and things that have become massive um, strategic and just sort of like shifts for these corporates, like they need to report on it, but then it becomes strategic because there is a clear financial impact on the bottom line and on the structure of their industries that is coming from all of this. And so we see firsthand that now it's affecting big businesses. It's going to affect medium and small scale businesses too in a few years um, to see that carbon credits are, are being challenged a lot by regulation. And so in some cases, they are just not accepted. In other cases, they are being, you know, so there's there's just a lot in there that I think is soon gonna gonna basically like force corporates to stop and say, you know what, we can't just do much greenwashing here unless this is done properly. We need to avoid it. Oh, and perhaps we can't even do it because that's you know from a regulatory standpoint that's not allowed and that's not gonna count, right? Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't count, mm -hmm. it's not gonna do it. So I'm seeing a lot of lack of education about all of this on, on an investment perspective or on an investor level. But I think for entrepreneurs, perhaps for, from the ones that are just coming from Web3, um, I think entrepreneurs who are more familiar with the structure of the market itself um, know these things, but then, yeah, then they aren't in Web3. Yeah. So there you go. It's mostly kind of on the entrepreneurial side of not quite knowing these uh, big strategic issues that are going to affect the market. And then the third thing, quite frankly, is greenwashing. Because when you zoom in and you think about 
the the type of projects that are passing the filter right now like the bar is just ridiculously low and uh, things like well you know when when does this offsetting come in net from a net perspective are not being discussed a lot right so for instance if you say well no we're going to plant a bunch of trees for all these flights well these trees are going to reach their full absorption capacity only in a few years from now How are you accounting for that, right? So, like, this is a very deep rabbit hole that we could talk about for hours, right. just in itself. Sure. Um, but so, to recap it, you know, there's a lack of learning from history. There is a lack of understanding what regulation is actually going to mean for all these solutions that are now coming to the market and thinking to scale it in a certain way. And number three, there is a lack of sort of um, more classification and analysis of what is true of setting and what's just not. There's so much there. Do you think that with blockchain becoming more of a mature technology and sector itself, that the ability to enable like verification of land to match that with the verification of a carbon credit or any type of credit, right? Whether it's an eco credit, whether it's any type of nature credit coming down down the line. Do you think the, the emergence of blockchain being more mature will help this sort of market and even regulation be much more valid and have like a really, a much better approach to this sort of idea. 100%, there is no doubt about that. There is no doubt that blockchain technology really has some of the solutions that weren't quite present in that way yet, and that can make a difference. And so to make a difference, it needs to be understood on both sides. Like the usability just needs to be just getting to a certain point. And then obviously all the things we were talking about before in terms of like truly understanding what the problems and therefore the needed solutions are. But there is no question that it's a technology that is really enabling something here that was always needed, but it wasn't possible to do it in this way. I want to go back to another, you know, big word that that you mentioned earlier, and that's sort of ESG. Just like carbon credits, just like greenwashing, ESG has its dilemmas as well. I think I think it has its pros and cons. I think it has people cheering for it. And when you look at ESG versus impact investing, or when you put those two up on a podium, I look at them quite differently. I think people will lump ESG and impact investing as, as sort of one. I like to separate them. But how do you look at ESG investing or just ESG in general and that sort of whole entire market, right? That a lot like carbon credits, it's kind of been around for the while, oh, a long time, right? But it has really matured the last, call it 24 months. With ESG, there's been so much more happening and for longer in terms of uh, the market maturing. And so until a few years ago, it was okay to just get away with it um, sure. in a low effort, more marketing driven right. type of way. Whereas now there's so much more coming, both in terms of the sophistication of LPs and investors in the market that are asking for specific approaches, then again, you know, also regulation and public in, in, uh, approaches as well, like the public just understanding better. So all stakeholders in the market have developed their approach to it and their demands. And uh, there is just also kind of like better education in terms of like, how do we how do we make this happen? Because the difference between ESG and impact, just to clarify for those that aren't familiar with it, 
ESG, to put it in very simple terms, like ESGs don't do bad and impact is do good, right? So that's basically what it is. And so ESG don't do bad has historically had companies going into these ESG baskets that are frankly in like very troublesome industries. You know, there's been like often like, and again, I think this is a past wave of the last couple of years, like these articles coming out saying, oh, this ESG index contains oh, this tobacco yeah. company and this other company, and this like, you know, this oil and gas company. Yeah, because there's a little bit, there was a little bit of a, a lack of understanding about certain criteria and checkboxes that uh, were just scratching the surface. But I think it's going deeper now. And I think that as part of that, what's happening is that the data is starting mm -hmm. to have yeah. to come on time. So what do I mean by that, actually? Because... We, we need to look at like these, these data points a bit more closely. Like, it's not just like, well, now there is more data. No, no, no. It's actually that companies need to report on climate risks and opportunities and on ESG in a way that was never the case before. So as part of that, they need to gather all this data that was never gathered before. And that goes for their entire supply chains, that goes for cross-department data. It's complex. And so that's where it comes in that there's going to be more data to look at and more data to make scoring available and, 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 and sort of sophisticated, more sophisticated than ever before. I think that right now, you know, when uh, large companies are being asked by their investors, what's their, you know, standpoint on the E or the S or the G in a particular part of the business, very often they're just like, Where's my data? And you know, how are we gonna answer this? Right. right? right a right. lot of that. Um, and so this is evolving with the market evolving itself as well. And so, you know, we know all these things again because of what our consulting business does. And as part of this, we're going into the Texas uh, side of it, which I've been waiting for uh, for a good while, just because you know the maturity has been so little that consulting just offers the kind of um, question answer educational approach that has been the most important uh, for something so complex to this point. Uh, but I think that for what for what concerns the data angle, the the ESG sort of integration angle now we're we're about to enter a different phase. So I would say that ESG overall has matured a lot and there's much more to go still. Can you talk about the the product that you're developing at all yet? Not much yet, but I can say that uh, we are we are really um, we are really looking at ultimately what's truly needed in the market uh, for for making these decisions and for you know for our clients. Quite frankly, like we've been able to learn from our clients what's actually needed and uh, you know where where the problems are and where the solutions are needed, and then. Uh, just the whole, you know, again, the the issue of data not being there. Um, all of this is informing the picture and it's it's evolving. But I think that basically this market is just really getting started and having more sophistication for tech-based approaches, like to really make sense. I want to end on a little bit of your some some advice maybe along the you know angel investing side. And you said you've you placed a, you know, if you bet, bet yourself on on some companies in certain sectors, and just as like a, a early stage angel investor, like how do you approach looking at, you know, companies that 
you know you would like to invest in or believe in like what are some of the the, the key focuses that that you like to look at whether it's you know founder related whether it's just sector related um i, I guess what is your thought process when you know thinking about investing in an early stage company when it comes just generally to an early stage company obviously like the team i think the experience and attitude and i'm saying attitude because there can be all the experience in the world but the attitude needs to yeah, match sure. it because is about scaling right this is about people it's about building teams it's about right and so there is an uh, a very important eq component that needs to be taken into account in various different ways and, and everybody can have their own ways um so there there is experience and attitude and then there is obviously the market itself and where the market is going so like that dictates the size of it and the opportunity i would always I would always look at something because often, you know, there's this typical pitch of, oh, if we only capture 1% of this market, like, no, right. that right. that makes little <laughs> sense for what reasons, right? Like for, for the reasons of, like, I would rather look at the motion, the trends and the specific pain points in the market, right? Like I find that much more interesting than saying, oh, this is a huge market and here's why we quantified it. Like the nature and the, the movements of the market are much more interesting like what's happening why is there you know are there big issues in it why right like all of that in terms of assessing the market i mean obviously kind of like the plan i always uh, i've mentored various startup incubators and i always like to use this analogy of going to zero to ten when you start and you know you do the typical zero to one that you know there's books about and everything else but when you start off and like a startup looks at the market and maybe indirect competitors and they see them at five and they think oh we want to you know be at five maybe even six the reality is that you need to take it step by step because you need to build on the foundations as well and so i think like a smart plan around how to gradually do that and build on foundations is also very important and then when it comes to the impact side ultimately it's about what's the impact that we're going after and what are the best ways to measure it and what does, quite frankly, what does this impact translate to in terms of value delivered? Because frankly, like business growth, money generation, like it comes down to delivering value. It's about value and impact is value. And so being able to look at it from that perspective and then understanding, you know, at the root of this and or the, the root cause of like needing this impact is like that you know, a certain type of value needs to be delivered or lacks and why, right? Just getting that broader context first, getting really clear on that and then find reasonable ways to track it and quantify it over time. Last question here about the future. And I think you've accomplished, you know, so many things already, you know, in your life. But when you look at the next decade, what are some of the successes and goals that you would like to achieve? Sure. So one thing that is very alive right now at present moment is that we are putting together a 10 episodes TV series uh, that I am hosting going through all the areas of impact investing. It's going to be uh, aired on uh, one of the streaming platforms in the US. And it's just been a process of how can we take all these exciting things that we get to right. see on a daily basis and make them resonate for a bigger audience? Why? Because I think there's a general lack of vision in the world and we need all hands on deck to understand that actually we can focus on solutions rather than problems. We can focus on utopia rather than dystopia. We have a lot of tangible ways to create something positive out of all this mess. Uh, 
And so that's, that's just kind of what we've been looking at. And uh, zooming into this, ultimately, you know, you, you may say it's also part of giving back, but quite frankly, something that I find meaningful, exciting, and just important for the overall growth of the space again. Um, so just going back to that, right? And uh, I think it becomes part of, as I told you, this distributed approach of uh, building on a platform as opposed to saying, oh, we're just you know, doing this specific thing and that's it. So a more distributed bottom-up way to grow the sector and as growing as part of it. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And then I think just more in general, the, the paradigm shift that we were talking about before, you know, and, uh, and seeing the various ways in which that plays out. And um, with TTI, you know, just keeping a view of the horizontal perspective and uh, what are the ways in which we can create synergies for the whole thing to work better, right? And just observing the evolution uh, of all, all the parts that compose the puzzle. And uh, and being able to make a difference there. When will the that will be this year? You think the TV show will come out? That's gonna be in uh, Q4. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Alessa. This was an amazing conversation. I knew it would be, but I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, best of luck to you in the future and for the next decades to come. Thank you so much, Grant. Great to chat with you.